think there is a really important communication component to it. So being willing to have an opinion and be able to back it up and synthesize information to help people understand why you're saying what you're saying. Um, and I think that that, um, again, coming out of like best things about PNG, like that was definitely one of the best things about PNG is that they empowered their junior people to have a point of view and to speak clearly. I mean, it was, it was company culture that the most junior person in the room was the first person to speak. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast presented by themarketinghelp.co. Now, our guest today is going to cover a marketing career path we haven't really covered in much detail, and that's the path into brand management and brand strategy. But first, quick reminder, listen, if you're struggling with preparing for that job search, preparing for a marketing interview, uh, the promotion process, you're struggling to develop the skills of your marketing team. Listen, sometimes it's easier to get guidance from a marketing mentor, someone who's been there, done that, but can offer relevant advice, but also hold you accountable. Now, the Marketing Help is offering a 30-day trial where you can access our marketing mentors via chat and weekly office hours to have those uh, healthy, helpful discussions for only a dollar. So don't navigate your marketing career moments alone. Get help right now for only a buck all you need to do is go to themarketinghelp.co forward slash plus, enter the promo code on that page and unlock your access to mentorship support. All right. So the intro clip was from our guest, Liz Davis. Now she has an amazing background and purpose that led her to a path through brand management. Now she started her career at Procter & Gamble, learning the ins and outs of what it takes to truly manage a brand. And then onto some roles in consulting uh, where she's currently in a role as a CMO at a lean startup. Now, the intro clip you heard was Liz's tips for skills that any marketer should be preparing for a career in brand management. And she's going to cover some other marketing career musts during this episode, like the right interviewing mindset, when to exit your marketing role, and what's the real definition of, of strategy. So let's go. Here is my discussion with former P&G brand manager and now CMO at Shimmy, Liz Davis. Joined today by Liz Davis. Liz is the chief marketing officer at Shimmy. Liz, welcome to the episode. Great, glad to be here. So Liz, real quick, just give us a, a sense of what Shimmy does and what is your role at Shimmy? So Shimmy is set out to revolutionize the hand sanitizer industry. So we're looking to make it stylish and sustainable. Uh, we have developed two uh, proprietary dispensers. So one is a touchless automatic dispenser that is great for small businesses, large businesses, enterprise clients, uh, the home. Uh, and we also have an on-the-go product called the Shimmy Go, which is a, a handheld portable refillable dispenser, sort of like your swell water bottle for hand sanitizer. So really helping customers to make sanitizer more accessible, more beautiful, um, more delightful to use. And all of our refills are sold in aluminum cartridges or refills so that we are trying to eliminate single-use plastic from the category. Very interesting. And uh, we'll get into some more details about Shimmy, what you're doing there. Um in the back half of the episode here. But I think what's interesting here is given your background, what I've seen, where you started, the roles you've had, I think it's going to be an interesting journey for our audience to connect the dots from where you started to where you are now, because I think it's 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 very um, interesting, the evolution of the, the types of brands you're working with and then how you're packaged all that, that experience and, and I'm, I'm assuming putting to good use now in your roles as CMO here with Shimmy. So let's start all the way at the beginning. Let's go like dive into your career path here. You know, how did you end up in marketing? I, I look, you know, you, you graduated with a, a mathematics and economics degree. <laughs> did that have anything to do with it? Or 
is this something you knew you wanted to do ever since, you know, maybe even pre pre-college? Absolutely not. No, this, <laughs> this is definitely not something that I knew was the job, to be honest. I mean, I think it's funny that you live your whole life with these products around you and you don't actually spend a lot of time, at least I didn't, thinking about the people who bring them to existence and, and sell them and, and get them on the shelves at the grocery store. But um, I started, I came out of college, not really sure what I wanted to do. I was really interested in event planning and working with people and sort of teams and collaboration. I, I always, you know, coming out of Georgetown University had this desire to have my career, you know, give back to others. I was a big sort of part of the ethos of Georgetown and, and their Jesuit culture is you know, doing things for the good of other people. And I actually went into nonprofits coming out of college. So, you know, was in Washington, DC. There's a huge nonprofit scene in DC. I worked with a small company called the Public Forum Institute that was about you know, to boil it down, helping members of Congress and parts of the administration talk to regular people. So we did you know, everything from setting up public meetings to um, major campaigns around healthcare. And the, the biggest one we did, which really sparked my curiosity around marketing was around entrepreneurship and really looking at that as the secret sauce of America, frankly, mm. that you could, you know, have these businesses that you know, the way the government thought about entrepreneurship was traditionally in the small business administration. And, and our whole mission working with the Kauffman Foundation out of Kansas City was to say, no, I mean, this is your Googles, this is your Microsofts, this is, you know, these small businesses that start in a garage become like major world players. And, and that's um, huge and impactful. And, and I just got so energized by working with entrepreneurs and, and doing all this work around helping the, you know, the government think about entrepreneurship differently. And, started reading, you know, tons of books and looking at, you know, how all these, you know, how people come up with new ideas and new products and, and got really energized about that and decided I didn't want to talk about other people doing things. <laughs> I wanted to do things. And, and, um, you know, with that mission in mind, you know, went and, and looked at like, what is the catalyst that I can get to get from where I am now to, to doing that? You know, I was inspired by folks like A.G. Laffley and, um, you know, those sort of icons of, of marketing at the time and decided that I would apply to business school, that that to me seemed like the real linchpin between where I was and where I wanted to be. And, um, you know, so two years out of undergrad, I applied to, to business school. I ended up going to MIT Sloan again, just this, you know, spirit of entrepreneurship and innovation and um, doing things differently and thinking about business as a positive force in the world. And that was just like such a great fit for me. Um, had I been smarter about knowing that I wanted to be a Procter & Gamble, I probably shouldn't have gone to Sloan because it mm. is not a direct path. Sure. You know, there are, there are definite schools that recruit into P&G. Sloan is not one of them, but um, you know, on this side of it, I feel really good about the fact that I went there because it was such a great fit. And um, and that really launched me into PNG, uh, which was you know, my dream job. That it was you know where brands were going to be invented. It was these products that touched people's lives. They had this you know, mission and purpose to the company. This new value system that was very much in line with my own. Um, and so, felt very fortunate to get my internship there and then go back full time, coming out of business school. And that really started my love of of consumer goods and data and insights and, um, you know, building businesses that are really part of people's lives. And that, that sort of makes sense. You know, it's so fun to see a product on the shelf and say like, 
that packaging looks that way because I said in the meeting that that should be <laughs> this color and that should that should look like this. And this advertising campaign is you know on TV because I helped to do that, and that's that's so fun, and I, I just love that. And I want to dig a little bit deeper into the PNG experience because I think for our audience listening. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of unknowns when it comes to I guess getting inside of the the CPG world. Mm-hmm. And you said, you know, business school while MIT was not the a, a feeder school if you will into P&G, I guess how did you get that internship? Was it just simply applying? Was it referred through a alumni connection? What was the way you got into the internship at P&G? Yeah, sort of D all of the above, it, you know, a yeah. uh, you know, it was applying, it was, you know, working through the career services at, at MIT, it was talking to, there were a handful of alumni at PNG, so sort of working with them, just being persistent, you know, calling the HR <laughs> leader of the internship program over and over and over again, trying, you know, obviously not annoying, but like, sure. being, you know, <laughs> motivated to talk to them. And, and it, you know, finally, I, I did have a, another offer lined up that I felt like I was in a good enough position to um, leverage. So I, I, I called them up again and said, like, I'm going to take this other offer. You know, this is, this is my first choice. I really want to be here, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say no because I, I need to have an, you know, I need to have an internship for the summer and time is ticking. And, um, that was sort of the, the final call that he, that got him to say, oh no, actually we do have this slot. Let me see what I can do. And, and so we you know, sort of finally got my foot in the door that way, but it was, you know, a combination of, you know, tapping into every, connection I have from a networking standpoint and and really leveraging just my enthusiasm and my passion for the company and um, for the role that that finally tipped the balance and sort of got me that first foot in the door. And for those listening that are thinking about, you know, have a similar passion for wanting to be part of the innovation around products, you know, consumer products, is it require is it a requirement to have an MBA before pursuing an internship at uh, a CPG company? I was, I think at this point, certainly not. Um, okay. now having only about my own experience, obviously I felt like it was a requirement for me, just given where I was in you know, my career and, and the education that I had had that wasn't particularly business oriented. I mean, as you, you referenced, I was an economics and mathematics major. So certainly very competent at the skills that are required, the functional okay. skills that go into business, but, but hadn't ever taken a marketing class or a finance class or anything like that. So didn't have that real foundational business education. Um, I think, you know, at this point, I, I feel like there was once a theory that to be a marketer anywhere, you needed to start in CPG marketing. I think that is certainly out the window. I, I see lots of incredibly talented marketers that come up through all sorts of different industries at this point. So um, I, I think it's a, about really about building your story and, and access to that information and being able to think through those types of marketing challenges is certainly um, not exclusively taught in business school. There's lots of ways to get that education and to be able to um, position yourself through your own educational resources or experience to to add value to an organization in a marketing capacity. Sure, sure. And I agree. I I was just curious in your take of it, but you're right. There probably are interns that have joined that did not complete an MBA, but oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. had <laughs> probably, you know, had, had started a business or something like that. So um, when getting into that internship, I guess, again, walk us through the process here. So is it the thing where, you know, you're an intern for a little bit and then you have a, an opportunity after you know, getting through the, the processes and procedures there, you determine which brand category you want to work with or do they assign it to you? So the way that the internship program works at, at PNG, at least 
and I, I believe that's still the case today, you are you are put on a specific brand. So you there's a, you know, it's the summer internship. So it's a three month, about a three month commitment. And you are sat with a brand team. Um, there is a, a coach and a, a manager that knows that you are part of the team. And it is designed to be a real job interview process, like the, the ultimate success criteria at the end of it is to get a full-time offer. And that, that expectation is that every intern who is at the company should be eligible for that full-time offer provided they perform um, during their internship. So I was, my internship was on the VIX brand. I was hired back full-time on the VIX brand. That was sort of not always what happens, but that is was very standard and typical that that would happen, that you would go back to the brand that you had done your internship on. Uh, and you're given a real work plan. So, you know, it's typically about three projects that, you know, have, you know, real value to the business. And there's a, a real success criteria, real, you know, goals, you have the same, st- you know, work plan process that you would have as a, a regular employee and, and real deliverables. And so I had you know, three core projects that I was um, tasked with delivering by the end of the summer. And there's you know, check-ins and you know, performance reviews against those projects, you know, presentations and such. You know, and so um, they really do look to see that you're able to bring the skills to the role that they're looking for, um, for that full-time employee. Got it. And, and what's interesting is I'm seeing, I remember when I worked for an agency, uh, we brought in some senior level talent that was trying to pattern an immersive internship program based on what was happening in the CPG world uh, to and, and to some success where we were able to nurture a lot of great talent by allowing them to coming right out of college uh, with a little bit of interest in marketing, be put in positions to like, like in your position saying impact real business challenges yeah. uh, hands on over the course of three months and then be offered full time uh, potentially at the end. So um uh, when, when I think about, uh, those in the audience that have not really been exposed to PNG or other brands in the CPG space, knowing that this was actually a thing, how would you describe in one sentence, what brand managers do in the world of, of CPG or in your case at PNG? So brand managers are responsible for the health of the business. Um, it, it really is. And I think this is one of the best values of CPG brand management is that it's much more than just functional marketing, um, that you are ultimately the, you know, in CPG, the P&L owner. So you are responsible for growing the business. And a lot of those challenges are marketing challenges, but they're also projects that are more tied to supply chain management or, or cost cutting or um, new product development, things that in other industries sit out very much outside of marketing. Um, you are that hub of the wheel that connects all the cross-functional partners to, to build the business because ultimately what is valuable at the end of the day is that equity that the brand owns. That's why you're allowed to sit on the shelf next to a product. You know, for, in our case on VIX, you know, private label NyQuil was the exact same product. Regulatory, like I said, it has to be the exact same product, but we're still charging more and getting millions of people to buy NyQuil because of that equity that we've built in the brand. Um, and that's what you are the steward of. You, you are sort of protecting and growing that, that intangible value around the brand. And that's incredibly important to these companies. I mean, that's what these products live and die on. And that's that's a, a great description, and I think that's extremely helpful for for those listening to get wrap their head around it. Because from my perspective, when I deal with marketers in their career and and you know just trying to figure out what path may make the most sense for them, and a lot of times you hear branding come up, yeah, 
and branding can mean a thousand things <laughs> to a thousand people. And the way you just described brand management in the world of CPG, I think is is extremely eye-opening and, and effective because it's more, like you said, it's more than just the functional marketing uh, strategies and tactics uh, as much as it is the health of the business. And I think yeah. those listening that, that think <laughs> branding is the same thing no matter where you go, um, uh, heads up, that's not the case. Yeah. Because um, branding, I think most of the time when talking through it, it is somebody who's interested in more of the customer research and stopping at the, the marketing piece of it and just focusing on the execution of the, you know, the, the sight, sound, and motion of how that transfers. Yeah. Um, so four years-ish, you're at P&G. Yeah. And then you transition into a role uh, working for a, a food company, Gelato Brand. Tell us about that transition. What, you know, I'm sure people ask all the time, well, why would you want to leave P&G? It sounds like it's a great job. So what was your reasoning behind that move? Yes, P&G is an incredible company. I think what is... Um, feels a little bit, you know, for better or for worse, if you will, in my own career is that I joined, uh, I graduated from business school in 2009. So, you know, right. For those of you who recall that time of, of life, it was a very tough year for, for CPG, you know, coming out of the recession, it was really hard to convince consumers and, and to justify to consumers why they should be paying more for branded products. When again, you know, the vast majority of the PNG portfolio has a private label counterpart that's, in, you know, of sufficient quality but in, in much cheaper. Um, and we had just switched leaders. So we had gone from AG Lapley as the CEO to um, Bob McDonald as the CEO. He was a, a much more of a COO minded CEO versus the sort of visionary leader that I think a lot of folks had, had thought of AG Lapley as certainly I had. Uh, and so the culture had just changed a bit. And then I had gone over, um, my second ABM assignment was on the Gillette business. Um, Gillette was a had integrated with PNG and it had just started to turn over where like PNG people were in charge um, versus the legacy Gillette folks coming out of that. Two, I think it was a 2005 merger, um, and so it was a it was a very it was still a bit of a tricky culture at, at Gillette, um, and it was a, a a brand that you caught got itself caught very flat footed. You know, had a had a very um, sort of storied way of doing things. You know, every year we take a list price increase on our blades. We drive margins on the blades. We, you know, we have these incredibly expensive, all things considered products. Um, but culturally, like men weren't shaving as much culturally, people thought that the blades were a little ridiculous. I mean, like they were the spoof of a Saturday night. <laughs> like, you know, it's tough to be a brand manager when your product's getting spoofed on SNL for being a little bit ridiculous. Um, and so, you know, we were sitting there, you know, again, caught flat footed as Dollar Shave Club, Harry's, yeah. you know, all these brands yeah. are coming on and, and the moat that, that P&G had had around their blades and razors business in terms of the capital that it was required to, to get into making and manufacturing blades was no longer the case. There were lots of solutions for folks um, to leverage contract manufacturers or other types of um, supply chains to, to get into the category and, and P&G, um, you know, Gillette had a hard time recognizing those folks as real competitors. And, and I, I, I sort of have always been one of those people that seeks out new information, is always curious about new ways of doing things, testing and learning, trying new ideas. And, and P&G was sort of in this mindset at the time where things aren't going as well as we want them to go. We have a lot of these business challenges. So we're just going to go back and do things the way we've always done them. And it was really 
frankly infuriating. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. to, it was really hard to to be on a, on a team where you're, you feel like there's so many exciting things that are happening. There's so many new ways to talk to consumers. There's so many new ways to think about product innovation and product development. And, and yet the response from the organization, from senior management is like, no, we're not going to do it that way. And, um, and so I, I often felt like, you know, we were, you know, I was at level, what I think it was like level three out of seven or eight levels in the hierarchy of the organization. And, and level seven looked amazing. I mean, being like being the brand franchise leader of a brand at PNG was incredible. I mean, the, the sort of experience you get and the decisions you get to make and the, the way in which you get to, you know, the job that you have was unbelievable, but the levels between where I was and there just looked impossible, you know, like I would just be constantly trying to push water uphill and beating, you know, beating my head against the wall. And, um, I just, I, I didn't want to sign up for that as my career, just being part of this big bureaucracy that, that, you know, refused to, um, be more responsive to the world around it. And so I decided to leave, um, and was offered a position uh, with a woman that I had worked with at Procter and Gamble. So she brought me onto the team and it was, you know, in, in the way that it was pitched and the, ex the experience of it was going to be really exciting. You know, take this brand that was beloved and had been sort of bought by private equity firms and, and sort of not loved and, and sort of run into the ground, you know, the trend of food was going premium and, you know, ingredients oriented and, you know, really exciting, um, you know, natural, eco-friendly, like sustainable, you know, all the, all the trends that, that we've seen. And this was back in 2013 and, and yet this, this gelato brand that was all about, you know, delicious product, premium ingredients had, had gone sort of big ice cream, like the original team that had, um, been brought in to manage the brand had gone very, very Americanized, very, you know, we're going to be in cardboard containers and we're in, and meanwhile, the gelato brands that are winning are in, are in these beautiful plastic jars and, and they have these amazing colors and ingredients. And so, um, we've been hired to, to turn around the brand and to try to bring that love and, the, and that, that story to, to this brand. Um, and so that was a really exciting challenge. And I, I felt like that was going to be a really interesting way to have more ownership over the brand, you know, really get to flex, um, my branding muscles and, and my marketing muscles in, in a, a different way and the smaller organization work with a team of folks that I really admired um, and, and, and build something that, that we would have a lot of control over, which um, was not how I was feeling as a, a sort of cog in the, the wheel of Gillette at the time. <laughs> now, at uh, Just in the transition, so when you're leaving P&G, had you built a team? Were you managing a team? Um, not in a managerial capacity, but okay. I was leading a lot of project teams and sort of, you know, as I, I mentioned, in a, the sort of role of the brand manager is that hub of all of the cross-functional partners. So I was leading a lot of project teams, Projects. but not a, a sort of direct reporting team. And then similarly, when going to the Gelato brand, it was, again, be the brand manager, be the the advocate, be the person to you know get us from here to here. Uh, again, working more with project teams, not necessarily building teams. So I did have a team um, okay. at the at Chabella. We okay. we had um, two ABMs when I started, um, and then for a variety of reasons, one being that we we relocated the company from New Jersey to Boston, um, and the other being just a sort of cash flow issues that, that were ultimately the ended up being the reason that I ultimately left Chabella. Um, we that team. Um, we didn't keep that team in in place, so it ended up being a smaller and smaller marketing organization as time went yeah. on. 
so and the reason again the the movement from one company to the next that's why i'm so interested in it because you know we see that it's six main things that will drive somebody from a company to a company uh, and looking for a new opportunity company was the reason you were leaving because of culture shifts and and things that you were describing you go to the gelato brand there's there's a challenge waiting for you there's a little bit of autonomy uh like you said getting to do lean into more of the things that you liked to do yeah and then after a year or so, it sounds like cash flow issues, which caused you to look for your next role. Yeah. So the, the challenge with private equity, which I didn't know at the time and, and now have subsequently learned a bit of the hard way, is that the incentives are, are different. Um, so it's not the same necessarily as building a business the way you would at a company that's you know a public company or even a, a privately owned company that's trying to to grow something so um in in a more traditional way so there there was a um i think a, a bit of a misrepresentation of what the strategy actually was um and and sort of a uh some cognitive dissonance between like what the private equity firms said they wanted to accomplish and what they were willing to resource the company to do and so that became really challenging. So it's it's hard to do a brand turnaround full stop. <laughs> it's really hard to do a brand turnaround with no resources. And um, it's really hard to do a brand turnaround when um, the major issues of the organization are, are cash flow related and, and you know, frozen food is particularly challenging just given the seasonality of the product. And um, so, so it was just a lot of, of those issues that drove um, the experience to be very different from what I thought I had been hired to do, and then ultimately made the culture just very different than what I thought it was going to be. So um, it was, you know, a really, really exciting learning experience. It was I learned a ton. Um, it made me a smarter business thinker, a smarter business leader, just having that differentiated experience, and then ultimately teed me up for my next role, where I went into consulting and um, and really you know, just exploded the, you know, the number of different industries and organizations that I touched and got to experience. Um, but that to that way. real quick, it sounds like, you know, in the, in the experiences, P&G, Gelato brand, again, great learning experiences. They got to a point where things became, you know, there is a, there is a disconnect between what you wanted to do and what was going to happen. Then it sounds like enter the world of consulting where again, high level of just summarizing here i would imagine you have the ability you're, you're being hired to impact change to the point where you get to it you get it to a point and then move on to the next project so i guess is it that clear that that's the reason why consulting was so interesting to you is because it gave you that ability to go and do what you wanted to do but not just for one brand but for multiple brands yes and no i mean i think what i really love about marketing and and brand management is the strategy side of it so even you know at a business like procter and gamble like the roles that i really enjoyed were more of those upstream roles so coming up with new products new marketing strategies new campaigns um you know thinking about the portfolio and how to how to emphasize different parts of the portfolio or build different parts of the portfolio in different ways and i i never loved the you know, that we talked about the, um, the case counters. Like I never loved like looking at the weekly sales report and get like really energized about like, you know, 2% growth this week over last week. And like, that was, you know, coming up with the, the coupon strategy, like those, those like really like 
blocking and tackling, you know, very important, critical to the business, like parts of the marketing organization were never where, where I loved to, to be. I really loved that, you know, upstream design, upstream innovation, marketing strategy, like thinking about stuff, like puzzling through things. Um, and that's where I felt like consulting really enabled me to do that. Um, that you didn't have to have that PL responsibility. You could really think about these challenges that were too hard almost to see when you were sitting in that seat running the business. You really needed somebody who could have more visibility, could step back, could look, you know, 30,000 feet up in the air uh, of how are all these things working together. Um, and that, I love that sort of mental challenge. Um, and I think that that's where CPG brand management is a really compelling background for um, what I was doing because you you do have a bigger general business strategy lens, even though you come from a, a sort of functional marketing position that you that you do have to understand how to grow a business, how to think about um, you know, new markets, new products, new challenges, new consumers, and and bringing that to bear for companies. You know, our niche when I was at Dunedin Company was companies that were not CPG companies and, and did not have a brand management way of approach to the way that they thought about their business. And, and we brought that to the table. And it was really, um, really interesting to see how that mindset applied to all these different types of businesses and, and just really fun challenges to think about. Now, in the world of consulting, as you described it, and, and it makes sense on how that became a fit for you, uh, for other marketers out there thinking, again, this might be they're ready for their next, their second step, or maybe they were they were client side and they're thinking of going agency side or even consulting because as you probably have seen a lot of these consulting arms or consulting companies have arms that are focused on digital marketing what does somebody need to have or possess in order to be successful in a consulting role because it isn't for everybody but what is it that somebody would need if they wanted to enter into the consulting world you know call it early stage of their career I think there is a really important communication component to it. So being willing to have an opinion and be able to back it up and synthesize information to help people understand why you're saying what you're saying. Um, and I think that that, um, again, coming out of like best things about PNG, like that was definitely one of the best things about PNG is that they empowered their junior people to have a point of view and to speak clearly. I mean, it was, it was company culture that the most junior person in the room was the first person to speak after, you know, an agency did a presentation or you had a, um, you know, you had your meetings. It was always like, what does the ABM say first? And the thought was that that ABM is closest to the consumer and the consumer is the boss. And so they have, you know, they should speak first so that their opinion is as unfiltered as possible. And you're not just agreeing with what your manager said. Um, and I think that that confidence and that skill set and that ability to communicate directly and, and synthesize information clearly and concisely is, is what makes a really effective consultant. Um, Cause people have to trust you. They have to believe that, that you are looking out for them, that you want them. And I think this is not always the reputation of all consultants, but certainly our reputation was we wanted our clients to succeed. We wanted to make them look good. We didn't want to go into a meeting and have their boss think that they were not smart or not understanding the challenges. We wanted them to look good. We wanted it to be feel, feel collaborative and, and helpful. Um, and so that was something that you know I really I did love as a consultant. I loved being able to help people think through these these bigger, meatier, more complicated challenges. Like bring to bear all these other 
industries and experiences that they might not have experienced because they sort of sat in their seat in their company for so long and gotten mm-hmm. used to the way that things are always done. And, and we could show them new ways to do stuff. Um, we did a lot with primary research. I love, I love, you know, customer consumer research coming up with insights. That's something I'm really passionate about. Um, but then it, you know, it's hard because I, and I personally go back and forth all the time. And what led me to then switch to shimmy is like, I wanted to be back on the brand side. I wanted to own something. I wanted to feel like I cared about the, like whether people t- like did what I said or not. So it, it, it is sort of the, the pendulum of my own career and my own interest in you know, consulting, um, got to a point where, where I was, you know, tired of being the one that was, you know, tacked on on the side and and not not like in the in the meat of it and not feeling the ownership for the for the company. So, so five plus years in consulting and then uh, the shimmy opportunity comes forth. What was the how how did that work? How did you end up landing that role? Um, so it was sort of a, again sort of the story of all all of these stories, sort of like a combination of of being the right place, the right time, networking. Um, so the actual part of it was, um, I had gone to college with the husband of the founder of Shimmy. So he had recalled and we had you know, seen each other here and there around Boston. Um, he had recalled that I was in, had a marketing career, that I was a, a consultant and, um, his wife had come up with this idea, um, you know, to found this company and, and she was more of an operations type of person and was interested in, understanding and getting some feedback on the marketing side of the business and he connected us. And so we, we started chatting. We, you know, I helped her with a couple of things just, you know, to be, to be nice. I was interested. I was intrigued in what she was doing. I, you know, we wanted to get a sense of whether or not we liked working together. So I just did a couple of, um, you know, projects for her, small things that she was curious about, you know, can you go figure this, figure out this question for me, you know, help me think of how I would phrase this. Um, and then, Ultimately, it it was a really good fit, and we we got along really well. We we sort of brought a very complementary approach, um, both both personally and, and professionally, to to the challenge. And um, she was looking for someone to come on, and and I jumped at the opportunity because it was sort of checked the boxes of what I was looking to do. You know, take take something you know from the ground up, start something. Um, you know, for me personally, it was exciting to you know for lack of a better metaphor, like, you know, step up to the plate and like take a really big swing with my career, you know, it might be a home run. It might be a foul ball, but like, just like the opportunity to do something different, like was very exciting to me. Um, and really tapped into what I love about the marketing and brand management and, and ultimately doing something that I feel like makes a positive impact on the world. You know, we all went through the pandemic. It was awful for, for most, you know, much more for many than, than even myself. I mean, I think my, my experience is relatively unscathed, but now hand sanitizer is part of our lives. And I think ultimately it's a net good that we have ways to reduce germs in the community. We want to be out and about in the community. We want to be going to these places. Um, hand sanitizer is very helpful in that front, but the experience right now is terrible. And you have these businesses that have invested you know, millions of dollars in their brand experience. They have this, you know, giant jug of like industrial alcohol at the front door to welcome you to this like beautiful experience. It's like gross. So, um, so we really saw an opportunity and, you know, as, as consumers, as, as moms, you know, it, it's something that we, we really felt like could be a lot better. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really energized about what we're bringing to market now and, and the challenges that we're trying to tackle. And, and so that's exciting too, to just feel like we're making a, a positive impact on our community and on the world. And we'll get into some more detail on that after the break in terms of more of what you're doing there in at Shimmy. 
Um, cause it sounds like there's, again, you have your, your hands into, into everything tied to that yeah. brand and the marketing. Uh, but before we hit to the break here, just when you think about the roles you've been in and you gave a little bit of a, a hint to that at, at P and G where, um, the most junior person would be the first person to talk after in, in a meeting when it comes to starting a role. So when you started as an intern or, and then when you started at, uh, the gelato company, and start at your consulting role. You know what is it that you found works to make that positive impact and impression? You know, ninety days into that first marketing role, what is it that you did? What did, what have you found successful? What should our audience be considering when they start that new marketing role? How can they be uh, making a, a immediate positive impact? Yeah, so I think there is, um, I think it's Jim Stangle who had this quote where it's it's something to the effect, and I'll probably butcher this, but something to the effect of like, you don't study a lion by going to the zoo, you study a lion by going to the jungle. And, and so I think that for junior people coming into the new role, really put yourself out there in the position as the consumer, you know, understand what it's like to you know, use your shop for your product, use your product, use the category, you know, try your, all of your competitors. And it could be a, some, a CPG where it's very easy to try like every single brand of laundry detergent, or it could be something that's more challenging, you know, a, a SaaS product or something where you have to, you know, but go through all of those onboarding processes, dig into all that information, really. Um, you know, I, I do think that idea of the consumer's boss is broadly applicable across all industries and, and businesses, and ultimately, you know, the success of the business is the success of the customer. Um, and and to really start to understand that and, and dig deep into what are what are those ten we would call them tensions. You know, what are the the things that people are doing versus what they're saying? What are the compensating behaviors that people have when it comes to using your product or your category? And and try to educate yourself and, and become and develop some expertise around that so that you are bringing that to the table, because I think that's where you start to see, you know, why are the things that we're doing working? Why are the things that we're doing not working? Where are my ideas for um, how I, I can add value, whether it's you know, making something you know, visible to the team that's not visible, you know, and one example that I had, a, I mean, we had a portfolio, one of my first projects at VIX was understanding our portfolio strategy. And I it was simply like put all of our products on an Excel sheet, sheet with our pricing and, and volumes. And it was like, we have three products that are actually selling. Like, you know, there is just like ways of looking at data, looking at information with a fresh set of eyes that I think really, um, you know, that's the value of being the new person in, in the room is, is bringing that perspective really um, owning the customer and the consumer voice um, and, and trying to come up with ways that you can make things better. And what you just described there, which I think is extremely effective, and you're right, for any industry, uh, walk a mile in your customer's shoes, see what they're doing, uh, witness them, et cetera. Um, but what you mentioned there doesn't, doesn't cost anything but time, uh, aside from maybe buying software or what have you. But um, uh, uh, making those observations, any intern, any you know entry level a coordinator, a new VP, CMO, anyone can do that. So I think you gave some great advice there to just you know um, the, the quote that you shared, very effective. Uh, do that right yeah. and have an opinion. And I it reminds me of I had a um, a coordinator that started for me, and we were trying to figure out our pricing as an agency, and without even being asked. He went out and found four competitors, 
build a spreadsheet because that, that is what reminded me <laughs> and just outlined and said, here's what we're charging. Here's what they're charging. And look how confusing we are <laughs> compared to everyone else. Yeah. And and that it was, was a, a telltale sign that this person that we hired was a rock star in, in the making, which he was, and he turned on to do great things. So great advice there. Last question here before we hit the break is what is the most memorable career moment you've had so far? The one <laughs> moment so far that really has served as that major catalyst? Um, so I think it was when a project that I had poured you know, my heart and soul into, we worked so hard to try to bring this new innovation to market and ultimately it got cut um, in, and, and not resourced and they chose not to launch it. And it was, it was devastating. I mean, it felt just so impossible to have, like have this amazing idea, all this great feedback from consumers. And um, you know, I think that that, was a really tough lesson in how ruthless as a leader you need to be about resource allocation and that you know that there were better more profitable ideas that were going to build the business better and as hard as it is to watch this pet project die ultimately you're not innovating enough if you're not killing things off and you you do have to have some ideas that hit the cutting room floor and you do have to figure out how to reallocate resources and so um that has stuck with me that that not you know not to fall in love with every every single idea even the ones that you really do love um to to always have that higher you know be able to step back, be able to look at the big picture, um, be able to think about what's going to make the biggest impact in the business and, and know that, again, you have to you have to say no to things in order to have a strategy. You can't you can't say yes to everything. So um, that that for, you know, as, as painful as it was to go through that, it's always hard to watch your 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 pet projects um, not make it to market. But it, it's a really good lesson to remember that that strategy is what you say no to, not what you say yes to. OK, I like it. Good stuff. All right. We'll take a quick break. Come back and get into more details about uh, what you're doing at Shimmy. Great. Let me ask you a question. What's been the best marketing career advice you've ever received? Now, one of the most common answers we've heard uh, from guests of this podcast and from our community as the answer to that question is, is to get a mentor or to form your own career council. Now, Jed and I wanted to do something that would make this a reality an opportunity for every marketer. So our current paid monthly membership option, TMH+, offers access to weekly group coaching, mentorship calls, and direct access to mentors via chat. So think of it like your, your own emergency line to help handle any challenging marketing career moments that you face. So we're offering a trial access to this TMH Plus me, uh, membership tier for only $1. $1 to get you a personalized sounding board, advice, guidance, uh, that can help you land the higher salary, the promotion, or simply just gain confidence to manage your team or your client more effectively. So $1. If you have $1 and you're ready to start uh, accessing this level of career support for the next month, just go to themarketinghelp.co forward slash plus, enter the promo code listed, and we will message you shortly after you join to start a conversation. So that's themarketinghelp.co forward slash plus. Let's get back to the episode. Here we go. Uh, CMO at Chimmy. What is it uh, that you're doing uh, in your role, let's say in a given month, what are the projects that you're tackling? So we are a, a very, very new company. So at this point, I mean, we we did our full launch just about five months ago with our you know, full product. And so my number one, two, three and goal, biggest goals are to build our user base. So we have a business model that is um, really driven by getting our dispensers into people's hands, businesses' hands out into the environment so that we can start to build that 
refill revenue stream. And that is my job is to figure out what are the platforms, what are the channels, what are the communication strategies, what are the tactics that that start to build that user base and grow that user base. And you mentioned before that, that and, and by the way you're describing it, this is a, sounds like a lean startup. Um, <laughs> where, you know, marketing team of one, maybe you have a couple other freelancers that you're working with. Um, but based on where it came from, we talked about that earlier in the episode to where you are now. Um, how does that feel, uh, to be, you know, in that world of resources and budgets and dollars, and now here you are a lean startup, what's applicable what do you, what are you pulling from in those experiences into the, into the role today? So there is still a lot of that same um, prioritization, need to prioritize, need to really think about the ROI and the return on every choice that you're making from both where I'm spending my time as well as where we're spending our dollar resources, um, trying to pick the biggest opportunities. So, and, and, and think about that marketing plan as a, a bit of a portfolio approach. So like, here are the things that we know we think we're going to work. These are the things that we, are, we think are worth testing. These are the things that we're going to put off to the side. These are the things we're cutting um, and, and really pruning that. I think even with a multi-million dollar budget, we had to be making those decisions. You, know, you had to be willing to say no to things. You had to be willing to choose um, different strategies, different tactics over others. And, and so that same process is still there, that, that sort of discipline around um, what are our building blocks going to be? You know, where are we where are we going to get which batch of customers from? What's that going to be worth to the business? How are we laddering up to our overall goal? Um, that that same skill set, that same mindset is you know from my first days at PNG all the way through to now that that is really important. And that's great advice because anyone you know if they're if they're leveraging those skills in the current marketing role, uh, don't you know hold on to them because they can apply no matter where it is. Absence of the team and the dollars. So for the marketer who's looking to get their career started and they're enamored by this, maybe they had a, a side business in college and entrepreneurship is for them and a lean startup path because they, you know, they, they're in that industry and they want to get started. What, what can, what's, the, what's the surprise somebody can prepare for uh, starting in a lean startup marketing position? What do they need to be prepared for? Um, I think it really for me is that very critical eye on on how you're spending your time, what you're trying to accomplish and and reorienting yourself, be it daily, weekly, certainly you know, weekly, it feels like the minimum in our environment, just in terms of how fast things are moving to what are the things that I have to accomplish? What are those mission critical tasks that need to get done? And for me and in, in my seat, a lot of them are marketing, you know, functional marketing tasks, but many of them are, are not, you know, there's a lot of work that I do in partnership with our supply chain team or our, our warehouse team to make sure that the, the whole holistic brand experience is as um, delightful as we want it to be. And, and that's not just the marketing challenges. That's you know, the customer service challenges, the, the shipping, you know, shipping is a huge challenge right now. Um, you know, making sure that all those things are working. So there are days that I'm, you know, hunting down a UPS package as opposed to, you know, working on Instagram and, and, and really being willing to roll up your sleeves, put on those different hats, recognize that, um, you know, with limited resources and a limited team, you have to be relentless in, in making sure that you're adding value, um, in the way that you're spending your time and, and those resources, um, finding ways to outsource the things that are, efficient and effective to outsource. That's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. So at this point, I have built my marketing team primarily with external resources. So tapping into um, 
you know, experts that can do things very efficiently and effectively, um, trying to keep that overhead low. So not, you know, not signing up for big contracts or long-term commitments, um, making sure that we're, we are able to be agile, that we are able to pivot as the market is giving us feedback. Um, you know, I think in, in the lean startup world, that, that is that agility and that flexibility, that, that sort of not, um, just sitting on your, you know, getting flat footed, that, that is really important and, and really a, a, a key part of uh, a mindset to go into. And, and uh, you have to sort of like that culture, I think, to to be successful in this sort of environment. Definitely. Good points there. And now for what, from what you see in, in being the person tying together the research and the product and uh, the strategy and seeing the types of, ch- I like how you, how you said that earlier about you have the, this definitely will work. Here's some things we want to test. Uh, here are some things to keep in mind over the next couple of months. For all the channels in your mind that are working or, or proven to work, if you had to give advice to any marketer out there that's ready you know, to get their career started and you would give them advice on, hey, listen, if you're going to work on any skill, any hard marketing skill, it should be this. What is that skill they should be focused on, on, on developing before they jump into a, a marketing role? I think it's really that that insights to benefit articulation skill. So so really understanding enough about your you know potential customer, your current customer, to understand like what is the job to be done that they that they are currently either hacking together a solution for or doing something that that you know is suboptimal versus what you are offering them, and then how do you articulate the benefit that your product or your service is able to provide? in a very clear, very concise um, way that that gets them to consider you. Um, so, so really driving that that person, that, ter- that purchase uh, maker down the decision funnel, um, that's the skill that I think is really important. And it comes from um, that sort of observation and, and data analysis. You know, I, I've found that the sharpest, deepest insights are often a combination of qualitative and quantitative research. So, you know, what you see in a, a data set combined with what you understand from watching someone's behavior or experiencing um, the category in their shoes, and then really distilling that benefit statement so that you're able to tell them exactly why they need to buy what you're selling. And and you, you touch on data there a little bit, um, the qualitative and quantitative. You know, is it is it in your, in your mind that any marketer coming into a role today should be somewhat familiar with whether it's Google Analytics, Data Studio, are there other tools that, that are kind of must have um, before entering the marketing world? To be honest, I don't know that there are any that are must have. I mean, I think a, a curiosity and a willingness to learn, like a lot of these tools are, you know, very available to, I mean, I, I didn't personally look at a lot of Google analytics until I came to shimmy, you know, it was something that our agency did or you know, somebody, somebody else was responsible for, but, but being able to understand that data and, and look at it and, and draw those conclusions and, and integrate those data sources. So, um, you know, data is never what makes the decision. Data is an input into the decision. It's really important that you layer on your own, understanding your own ability to synthesize multiple sources that you have, you know, people make decisions, not data. Um, and so that I think is, is really important. And, and just that, that general curiosity, that willingness to learn, I think any marketer should be willing to roll their sleeves up and get into the details of whatever system it is that, that, you know, holds the data that is helpful to them. Um, you shouldn't be intimidated by it. 
Um, you certainly, you know, being willing to you know, dump numbers into Excel and just start playing around with stuff. I think, you know, that, that willingness to, to just get, get into it is really important for a marketer. You, should, you shouldn't rely on, you shouldn't just be relying on other people to tell you what the data says. You should be willing to really dig into it yourself. I love that soundbite about data doesn't make the decision. It, it, it's got to, someone's got to look at it and then do something yeah. with that information. It's an input. Um, Absolutely. Now, obviously you look at where you've been and the roles you've secured. Uh, it sounds like for the most part, networking was a good, a strong component of getting you into those conversations to get considered for the roles that you were offered. So you must have some sort of secret tip or advice when it comes to interviewing, you know, how to really have a strong performance and how to stand apart from other candidates, you know, maybe early on in that PNG role, you know, is it a negotiation tactic? You know, what is your tip for somebody who's looking to really ace that interview uh, for the marketing position? Yeah, so what I, in my own experience interviewing and, and what I look for when I'm interviewing others is the ability to tell a succinct you know, story, anecdote, example of a time that you did something where the fact that you were sitting in that seat made the difference. And, and whether the outcome was good or bad or a learning experience or raging success, it, it's about the fact that you did something that was, you know, it wasn't just anybody in that seat. It was because you were there and, and how you, um, you know, position either what you learned or what you accomplished from that anecdote, I find to be the most telling, because I think that that willingness to, to take risks, to have an opinion, to put yourself out there. Like that's, what's really important. That's what we want. What I want on my team is people who are, who are going to make decisions and who are going to help me think and be smarter. And, and that I think comes through based on what you did in your past. And it doesn't have to be a sexy job at a big brand. It can be something that you did in school. It can be an extracurricular, you know, extracurricular activity. It can be a community organization, but where you stepped up and, and you put yourself out there in some sort of leadership capacity, um, be it a soft leader or actual, you know, functional leader, um, where you showed that you brought something uh, new to the situation. And, and as a result, this outcome happened. I, lo I love that advice. Cause you know, having worked for founders that, wouldn't even look at a resume unless it can't had a high pedigree university on it. Like I remember being in the room where literally it was, it was moving resumes in two piles and I didn't really feel good about it. It didn't make me feel very comfortable um, to, in my career when hiring people, you're right. If I, if I heard a good story, an example of, of accomplishments, regardless of the brand or where they even having no degree, yeah. uh, that's, that's what, what was, uh, you know, something I'd look for in hire. Um, now, obviously, in what you're doing now, Chimmy, you know, figuring the pulse of a lot of things, what are some of your go-to resources when it comes to just whether it's, you know, being inspired, uh, being fed, you know, figuring the pulse of what's happening in the marketing or product space? What are they? We'd love to share them with our, our audience. Yeah, so I think from a, from a brand management standpoint, I feel like some of the oldies but goodies that I still go back to, you know, Byron Sharp, How Brands Grow, I think is an incredibly effective resource um, to just really think about businesses and, and the, you know, fundamental aspects of growth. I still love A.G. Lapley's Playing to Win as a, you know, a, a way to think about strategy. That That's sort of the bread and butter of how P&G thought about strategy, which I found an incredibly effective tool. You know, you should be able to articulate your strategy on a single page. Um, I love you know, thinking about different types of resources. So I read a lot of articles about just, you know, 
you know, Adam Grant, his podcast, like things like just like how to think about problems, like how to think differently. Um, you know, I love, you know, folks like Brene Brown and and those folks where it's about, you know, being vulnerable and and that I find really insightful in terms of how to think about human behavior and you know, what was really valuable to people. Um, Seth Godin is one that I, I looked at a lot early in my career. I, you know, I like a lot of the his stuff. You know, t- there's often, you know, random TED Talks here and there that I like. Um, I think there's an old one, like Derek Silvers, I think it was, where it's about how to build a movement. You know, I find marketing challenges to be sometimes limiting versus like people who talk about life, <laughs> like people who talk about, you know, some of the best resources I've found in terms of thinking about building teams and managing people come from articles about parenting, because ultimately, you know, the way you break down how to make your kids successful is often really good advice for how to make your employees successful. Um, and so those are the type, those are the type, I, I really love just sort of that, that general insight and awareness. And, and I think being a really good marketer is only enhanced by being a good person and, you know, really you know, being out in your community, talking to people, um, understanding the challenges that are happening in, in sort of day-to-day life. And um, so, so those are, that's where I, I go for inspiration and um, insight is, is to a lot of those places too. Some great, some great resources. We'll make sure to include those in the show notes. Now, if you were not in a career in marketing or brand, what, what would you be doing? Oh gosh. <laughs> um, I mean, I think I would, I, I love the idea of, of doing stuff that is collaborative. And, and I, I think that sort of movement building would probably be where I, I would go next. I think there are a lot of really big challenges in the world right now. Um, you know, I feel, you know, particularly in the last couple of years, it, it's like just so many things that are, that are going on that just would benefit from dedicated people really trying, you know, and there are certainly, you know, already dedicated people doing really good work, but, um, but I think that's where I would go. I, sure. I, I love the idea of, um, solving really challenging problems, um, bringing different perspectives to those, um, challenges and, and ultimately like leaving the world a little bit better than we found it. And I, I think that there is, um, you know, be it climate change or gun violence, you know, just things like that, that are personally animating to me that, that I would, I would probably get more involved in if I wasn't doing what I'm doing right now. Sounds, sounds good. It makes sense. Given what you had said earlier about coming from Georgetown and, yeah. and what was the culture was there, uh, and exposure to nonprofits. So all good stuff. Always a question I ask, cause I'm always curious because, you know, the, there's always uh, a guest that may want to be, you know, in a completely Something you never would have think yeah. <laughs> would think. So, now where's the best place for our audience to connect with you? Uh, LinkedIn is is great. Okay. Um, that that's certainly a, an easy place to find me. I think it's Liz Davis or Elizabeth Davis on LinkedIn. Um, I can also be reached at Liz at getshimmy.com. Uh, happy to to chat with folks there too. Great. So I will share that information in the show notes. And again, Liz, uh, appreciate your time here. A lot of great insights and some tips. Um, and best of luck with all things at Shimmy. Thanks. Great to chat with you, Eric. All right. A big thanks to Liz for joining me on this episode. Now, check the show notes for links on how to connect with Liz. A couple ways to do that, along with uh, links to some other resources that she mentioned in the episode. So here, now you have a network connection uh, with some great experience in brand management, brand marketing, and startup marketing. So definitely reach out to Liz if you want to discuss that sort of career path further. And make sure to reference the Marketing Careers podcast when messaging Liz so she knows uh, where you're coming from. 
Now, if you want personalized guidance from myself or other marketing mentors for, for just a dollar, check out the marketinghelp.co forward slash plus, enter the promo code, and let's start a conversation. Again, this is your host, Eric Harbison, with a simple ask. Help other marketers find our content by leaving a rating and review wherever you access your favorite podcast.